Matthew 22, 2 through 13. The kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a king who prepared a great wedding feast for his son. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servants to notify those who were invited, but they all refused to come. So he sent other servants to tell them, the feast has been prepared, the bulls and fattened cattle have been killed, and everything is ready. Come to the banquet. But the guest he had invited ignored them and went their own way, one to his farm, another to his business. Others seized his messengers and insulted them and killed them. The king was furious, and he sent out his army to destroy the murderers and burn their town. And he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, and the guests I invited aren't worthy of the honor. Now go out to the street corners and invite everyone you see. So the servants brought in everyone they could find, good and bad alike, and the banquet hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to meet the guest, he noticed a man who wasn't wearing the proper clothes for a wedding. Friend, he asked, how is it that you are here without wedding clothes? But the man had no reply. Then the king said to his aides, Bind his hands and feet and throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of the Lord for the people of God. Thank you so much, Caroline. It's quite a passage. And... Um, there's so much in this, but if we're going to look at the teaching of Jesus, what he spoke, the words that he said in his uh, three years of, of earthly ministry, three years about, um, then we're going to have to talk about this idea of the kingdom, because this was just one of many times that God spoke, Jesus spoke of his kingdom. And before we just dive straight into it, we have to understand why. Why did Jesus speak of his kingdom so frequently? And we can, we can look back and, and we can see how frequent because the term kingdom appears um, in the books of Matthew, Mark, and Luke 111 times. Pretty frequent. For us to understand why he addressed the kingdom, we can look back to the Old Testament and look at the framework and understand why Jesus spoke of his kingdom in such depth and in such clarity, but even through these parables um, that he would speak. And we can turn to 2 Samuel chapter 10, sorry, chapter 7, starting in, in uh, verse 10. And this is the prophet Nathan speaking to King David. And I will provide a homeland for my people Israel, planting them in a secure place where they will never be disturbed. Evil nations won't oppress them as they've done in the past. Starting from the time I appointed judges to rule my people of Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Furthermore, the Lord declares that he will make a house for you, a dynasty of kings. 
For when you die and are buried with your ancestors, I will raise up one of your descendants, one of your own offspring, and I will make his kingdom strong. He is the one who will build a house, a temple for my name, and I will secure his royal throne forever. Jesus spoke of the kingdom because people were looking for a king. He spoke of a kingdom because every context the nation of Israel had had up to that moment was a kingdom. And, and he spoke to it because he was having to deconstruct the expectations of what that kingdom was going to look like. You don't show up and claim to be the Messiah and not have some folks that have some ideas of what that's supposed to look like. And we can see in this passage in 2 Samuel exactly what their expectations were. Verse 10. They had an expectation that the kingdom that Jesus was building was going to have a geographic location. Also in verse 10, the idea that this kingdom that Jesus is bringing would be completely independent. That there would be no wars. Fully established monarchy. That was a, if you look in verse 11, these are the things that are shaping the expectation of what God's kingdom is supposed to look like. That the temple would be rebuilt. Then that's in verse 13. And then finally, that this kingdom that God was building would be never ending. Just for a second, turn off the the history that you've taught or been taught or you've heard um, what you know already and place yourself in Israel. Think back to starting with Abraham, his lineage, the promise that he would become a great nation all the way through King David, through the time of judges and then, and then a season of prophets And we'll talk about all that and more. But these were the expectations. This promise that um, I will secure a royal throne forever. This was a promise that was given to David. And how many hundreds of years later, Jesus shows up. And this is still the promise that the nation of Israel is believing will take place. And they believe that Jesus is will be a king on a throne in a geographic location. A temple will be rebuilt. Imagine if you believe that this kingdom will, this, this king will have a throne that will never cease and, and, and then an invading army comes in and wipes out the nation of Israel. It's happened all the time. <laughs> and that hope is lost yet again. And maybe, maybe this king, maybe this line of, of, uh, of royalty will be when Jesus shows up, the nation of Israel is very tired. And, by the way, underneath Roman rule. <laughs> so when completely independent, Imagine speaking that and believing that while you were completely under the authority of another kingdom. The reason he spoke 
to kingdom so often is because he had to deconstruct the preconceived notions and expectations of his people. Jesus taught about the kingdom to explain who he was and what he was building. So now let's turn to our passage. Matthew 22, verse 3 through 6. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servants to notify those who were invited, but they all refused to come. So he sent other servants to tell them, the feast has been prepared. The bulls and fattened calf have been killed and everything is ready. Come to the banquet. But the guests he had invited ignored them and went on their way, one to his farm, another to his business. Others seized his messengers, insulted them, and killed them. This original invitation, one that was ignored, and then a second wave that was sent out, and even that second wave um, was part, some people continued to ignore him, and then other people got violent with those messengers, saying the invitation is here. Just real quick, look to your neighbor and say, that invitation wasn't for me. No, it's not very fun. Let's look at, look at your neighbor and say, that invitation, not for me. <laughs> Y'all were like, are you serious? <laughs> All right. The original invitation to the wedding feast was not for us. Unless somebody here is of the nation of Israel. But most of us, or not, that original invitation was for the people of Israel, the descendants of Abraham, through the lineage of David. The 12 tribes, it was specific and rejected. That's hard. But, but Jesus is speaking directly to this because it, it, it is the piece of the kingdom that he is putting together and building and putting in place. But I think there's something for us in how they rejected this invitation. He mentions some specifics that some just ignored them. And then others seized the messengers, insulted, and killed them. So verse 5, some guests simply ignored the invitation and chose instead to prioritize their own businesses and farms. I think Jesus is speaking that these are the people who rely on their own abilities and strengths. That the invitation to the kingdom is presented and we, like they, some of those people that received that original invitation is we received ours that we would choose our own self-reliance or to build a kingdom of this earth and not move towards the kingdom in the wedding that we are being invited to. And then others seized the messengers and insulted them and killed them. These are the people who knowingly reject the kingdom of God and work against it to try to destroy it. It's as old as history. It's as old as time. And these are the response that not the enemies of the king, the invitees of the king, those that were being welcomed into the feast, these are the two original responses that Jesus describes. And yet, 
Verse 8 happens. So, a little bit of downer news on that first half, right? And then we get to verse 8. And he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready. And the guests I invited aren't worthy of the honor. Now go to the street corners and invite everyone you see. So, so the servants brought in everyone they could find, good and bad alike. And the banquet hall was filled with guests. Looked to your neighbor and said, this invitation is for me. <laughs> the original invitation was not for us as Gentiles. But in three verses, Jesus completely alters the course of human history, changes the, 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 the map, changes the globe. In three verses, the wedding feast is ready and the guests I invited are not worthy of the honor. He had been rejected. The invitation had been, had been rejected. So God in his righteousness and his authority came in and said, all right, I'm going to make a way not only for my people, but for everyone. Can someone say amen? Amen. Good and bad alike. The old system is gone, y'all. The old system of, of, of everything of the law and perfect alignment and following perfectly and fulfilling every piece and, 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 and making and kind of creating your own, your own righteousness. Yes, it's, it's through the power of the Lord, but that system is gone. Good and bad alike get to enter into the wedding feast now. Good and bad alike are, are, are given a ticket to the feast to be part of the kingdom of God. And that is good news. Best news. Amen. And then we continue to read in verse 11. But when the king came to meet the guests, he noticed a man who wasn't wearing the proper clothes for, the, for a wedding. Friend, he asked, how is it that you are here without wedding clothes? But the man had no reply. And the following verse says, and he was cast into outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. That verse has, has so much in it that I intentionally kind of left it off of this section. But this idea that even when the invitation was sent and responded to, I'm responding to a kingdom invitation. I'm responding to a wedding feast that is not mine. I don't control it. The king has sent the invitation. The king sets the term of the feast. The king defines the culture of the kingdom. The king defines the, the righteousness of everyone who's invited into the feast. And yet, this verse is here for a reason. Because even when the, the invitation gets open wide open and good and bad alike are invited, go to the corners, uh, street corners. Uh, there's some translations in, in different verses that say go to the highways and the byways. Call them in. If I'm going to come to the feast, I come in alignment with the king. How many times do we try to step into the feast, respond to the invitation, 
but bring our own identity, our own robes. And the king says, no, 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 no. This is my kingdom, my wedding feast. I define the terms. Now, the good news is, is that when we align ourselves with that, there's happiness and joy and freedom. It's what we really want. But we don't get to say, yes, I believe in Jesus. I'm going to respond to this invitation and then go do life in a completely opposite manner. So in this conversation of what is the kingdom, this one passage that Jesus lays out, this parable, this allegory of his, his own attempts to, be, to, to make his people, to bring them into a position of rightness, relationship, into the wedding feast. And their rejection, now the invitation is for all of us and we get to Uh, we get to enjoy it. By the way, all of us includes the nation of Israel. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul writes, and I didn't have this in here, several times he says, listen, I'm teaching, I'm preaching Jesus to the Gentiles in hopes that, uh, that the Jews will become jealous. Because this guy named Jesus showed up, the Word made flesh, God dwelt among us and taught us and gave his life for us so that all could have an invitation into the kingdom. And what's going to happen is that the original recipients of the original invitation will join in with the, the rest of the bridal party. And we will rejoice together. You don't have to hang around church much to hear the, fir- the, the, fra- the reference or the, uh, the phrase, the kingdom, used quite often. Yet, I don't know if we really know the full extent of what that word means. You hear things like, thine is the kingdom. The kingdom is coming. The kingdom is here. The kingdom shall have no end. God is building his kingdom. We are his kingdom. Over there is his kingdom. Many, many people leave, believe that his kingdom is another word for heaven. I don't think that's fully inaccurate. I just don't think it's fully complete. Because we understand there's reality that his kingdom is here and to come. It is not a geographic location the same tension that we need to understand about the kingdom of God. It is not a geographic location, but it is a place being built as we speak. It's not a system of government, but a king already sits on the throne. It's not a temple where we go because we are the temple where he dwells. Remember back to the original prophecy from the prophet Nathan who said, I will rebuild the temple, a king who will rebuild the temple? Well, you are the temple. It's not an ethnicity or nationality. 
but it is a people of every tribe, every nation, and every tongue called together, redeemed by grace, built up by faith, and united brick by brick to reveal the glory and splendor and the majesty of the king. As much as the kingdom is a place being built and prepared, Scripture talks about a new heaven and a new earth. That when Jesus returns, he brings the kingdom with him. It's the saints who have gone before, but it is you and me today, brick by brick, our lives interwoven, a tapestry of his glory and his authority, his power. John 17 says that they will know that we are sent from him when we walk in unity, in alignment with the king. It's not just about unity. It's about wearing the wedding clothes that have been prepared for us. Taking on the culture of the kingdom. Saying yes to the invitation of the king. Josh, can you come up? This morning, we, uh, we're going to celebrate communion. The sacrament of communion um, is... Uh, the place where the king meets us. It is a means of grace where we get to respond to and, and, and be face to face with this king who has invited us into his family. As a matter of fact, when Jesus sat down with his disciples, he was instituting his kingdom. There was no mistake, there was no, um, it was not just a ritual, it was the king instituting his kingdom on earth. And what an honor that we, all these thousands of years later, come to the table and meet with the king. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for today. Thank you that your kingdom is coming and your kingdom is here. Thank you that you invited us all to the banquet, good and bad alike. We ask that you would continue to shape us, continue to work in us through the power of your son. And we pray all these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen? amen. And amen.